Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This year in many ways has flipped the world upside down. Frankly, it can feel overwhelming. And when so much is going on, it's like a weight is on our shoulders. The weight affects our relationships and can really mess with our heads and our hearts. And sadly, sometimes turns into feelings of hopelessness or even sometimes mental illness. So how do we take care of ourselves in the midst of so much happening around us? How do we stay centered? Today's guest has some ideas. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Our guest today is Miles Adcox, the owner and CEO of Onsite, a company that offers personal growth workshops, leadership retreats, and emotional treatment at its beautiful center outside of Nashville, Tennessee. He co-hosts the podcast, Unspoken, with the previous Sounds Good guest, Ruthie Lindsay. Shout out to Ruthie. And Miles is a speaker on mental health, personal growth, and all things emotional wellness. I am so excited for you to hear our conversation. Miles offers simple tips for taking care of ourselves, which will be especially helpful in the midst of all this year has thrown at us. Plus, stay tuned to the end of this episode for five good news stories from 2020 worth celebrating. Miles, you are somebody that I just know is amazing at coaching people through this whole emotional wellness thing. And I know I've learned a lot from you. And so I'm really glad to be talking with you in this time where it feels like so much of the world is flipping upside down. Thank you so much for being here today. Sure. Thank thank you, Brandon. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We talk a lot about how when you see heartbreak and pain and injustice in the world, the best way to respond is by getting involved and becoming a helper, doing something to make a difference. And this is weighing really hard. You know, there's so many opportunities to make a difference, but also the weight of all these problems and also just the strain of, of how these are affecting our interpersonal relationships are, are leaving many of us feeling a bit empty. And so it seems to me like the first step towards taking action and making a difference might just be taking care of ourselves emotionally. And so can you tell me, like, maybe before we even get started, what is self-care and what isn't self-care? And how can we make sure that we're practicing it in the right way? Well, as you mentioned, you know, in this season, all of our uh, current reality and the unpredictable nature of what we don't know about tomorrow or the future 
is certainly impacting us uh, psychologically, which impacts our entire body and our entire nervous system. And so we are, the, in a way, the, the world as we knew it has been tilted on its side. And on most days, you can find all of us sliding back and forth on the deck trying to find our, our footing. So I think at some level, we have to accept that that is our reality and our new normal. And it's not something that we will... I don't believe it's helpful for us to constantly be strategizing about getting on the other side of it. So a lot of times what we do in supporting people in emotional health and self-care and mental wellness is not trying to usher people through something, but trying to bring people into something in its current context to see what is it trying to help us. And so when it comes to self-care, ultimately self-care is just you know any deliberate act that would uh, be in support of our individual, personal, spiritual, emotional, physical health. But I think in this season, often because that could be pretty much anything, sometimes self-care as it's been pop-culturized, I think it's lost a little bit of its meaning. It can be a little bit confusing. And so I think we have to be a little bit more specific so that we're not just doing any mindless and meaningless activity and assuming it's benefiting one of those three things. You know, my expertise is in emotional health and fitness. And so that would be the, the lane I'll be most prepared to talk about. Of course, it's hard to separate sometimes physical, emotional, and spiritual. But as it relates to emotional health, I think it's really important in this season. I want to get ahead of myself. You may be asking this question momentarily that we evaluate uh, what we're consuming and how we're intentional about offloading certain elements of that. So in, in a sense, just like an operating system, we've got an ability to update our minds mm. and our hearts from time to time so that you, you said it, you know, a lot of us feel overwhelmed right now. Well, just like technology, we have capacity limitations on what we can download. And if we don't have intentional outlets or safe places or people or processes to offload some of the vicarious nature of what we're seeing and experiencing, then it will absolutely overwhelm our system and we're at risk of a crash. What I'm hearing is that self-care isn't necessarily just bubble baths and face masks, as delightful as those things are, self-care is a little bit more proactive. And it's almost the intentionality uh, that you're setting with, you know, how you're engaging with the world ahead of time. And, and I know that in the midst of everything that's happening in the world, I think a lot of us are looking for balance. Uh, but I know that you don't necessarily like believe that balance is what we should be striving for. What is it that we should be striving for in the midst of just trying to find emotional wellness right now. I like the idea. I do think that, you know, a lot of people are, have strategies around supporting people to find a work life balance. And that's certainly something we work with in the initiative that I lead, but we don't really come through the lens of uh, thinking that there that's realistic, that we're not going to bring parts of ourselves to work and we're not going to bring parts of work home. The idea is, is not, if you think about a spectrum between one to 10, if five would be the perfect balance, that's not my goal. My goal would be that that's the center point. That's the core. That's the truth of who we are. And how do we stay in that neighborhood, be intentional about, because there's going to be some life adverse experiences that will come down the pipe collectively, individually, that are going to knock us off kilter. And if we get so attached to the idea of balance, then what it happens is we usually end up blocking out some important emotion because typically we do a bad job at having a, a dual perspective on emotion to begin with. We, we were often, most of us were raised and imprinted with there's good ones 
and there's bad ones. And with emotions, you can't really be selective because they're going to be there to begin with. But usually um, we get so attached to the idea of optimism and hope that we pretend like fear and anxiety doesn't exist. Mm. Or we get so wrapped around fear and anxiety that we have no ability to see optimism and hope. And the idea is, is that you can hold the duality of both. And when you do, you're kind of staying in the neighborhood of being grounded in the center of who you are. For lack of a better way of saying it, like, how do you do that? How do you find that duality of, of remaining hopeful and optimistic while also completely acknowledging that, you know, fear and anxiety and, and frustration are, are also completely real? Well, there's several different tools uh, underneath a, a framework that, that I, I like to use called emotional fitness that would support people in getting clear and understanding in owning and then have the ability to share with the safe person what they're actually feeling. But, you know, just as a, in, in counseling is, is a really great tool. Uh, but for a lot of people, they may not have access to that, either time or resources to allocate towards it. But, you know, I think it starts with something basic. I'll tell you know, just a super quick story about my taking my son to school recently. He's three years old and this is his first school experience. And it happens to be happening in the middle of a global pandemic. And, you know, I think it was about a month ago when I was uh, driving him up to the school the very first day, uh, my wife and I, and we were, uh, you know, a little overwhelmed because we always envisioned this day and what it might feel like. And we had pictured us walking him in and showing him around and te- introducing him to the teachers and all that was off. You know, we, he, he's a three-year-old and had to wear a mask. We worked with him for weeks and he got that down and he's wearing a mask and suddenly we're in a car line and handing him out the, the door to a stranger who also is wearing a mask that he's never met. And it was just not the experience that I expected. So as we're pulling up in the car line, he starts getting emotional and getting, uh, and, and actually and he, I've had him on a feelings chart since he could speak. So he, he knows <laughs> how to, here's what I'm feeling. But he said to me, he said, daddy, I'm really uh, scared. And uh, I don't, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm really scared. And, and I just uh, kind of took a step back and paused. And I said, buddy, you know, it's okay to be scared and be brave at the same time. And he paused for a minute. He was trying to kind of process that. And he looked back at me and he said, daddy, will you be scared and brave with me? Mm. And in that moment, um, it, I, I got emotional and it caught me off guard. And, and I, I had to be honest because I think what I was trying to do up until then, because I've been culturally conditioned, even though I've got the information and education and training, I've been culturally conditioned like the rest of us to in that moment, the best dad move I could make was just to show up and, and be strong and not show any, any, uh, what would be perceived weakness. And the reality is I was feeling as anxious as he was. And when he called me out and invited me into what I had supported him on, I got emotional and I said, you know what, buddy, I already am. I'm feeling scared. You know, this is a new experience and I can feel I can feel brave and courageous as well. So I think that's the goal is can we share with another safe person who's not going to try to advise or change it what we're actually feeling, where we're feeling it, how it might be impacting us in our current reality. And I'm telling you, that alone can lower our ambient stress. Mm, and it seems like it's a gift too for the person that we invite into this. It's also giving them permission, like your son gave you permission to feel all those feelings and to and to be there with somebody else to have that connection. Absolutely, yeah. It's a mirror moment. Ultimately, uh, right now, what we're experiencing out there more than anything 
is a feeling of being untethered or disconnected. And that makes sense if you know how we're wired psychologically, because our brain fears two things unconsciously more than anything else. And that is an unpredictable future and feeling out of control. And we all are collectively experiencing a lot of that based on some of the things that you shared earlier that are happening right now out in culture. And so it makes a whole lot of sense that if we want to stay connected, which is the kind of key to finding some type of centeredness in our life, then we have to feel seen, heard, valued, empathized with, and validated. And that happens with human to human. Even through technology, it's possible. Uh, but I think we need more people with a little bit more emotional intelligence, a little bit more trauma-informed so that we can fill each other up, catch each other on the fall, and lift each other up on the rise. There are two things that our brain kind of fears the most. And it is being isolated and feeling out of control or around an unpredictable tomorrow or future. And right now, collectively, we're all experiencing a little more of that than, than we ever have uh, together. So it, it makes sense right now that um, a lot of the statistics we're seeing around uh, mental health and just overall stress are up. And therefore, I think it's coming out sideways and playing out in a lot of areas. Now, the good the good news is having been, having had a front row seat for a lot of people over many years, having lived through or working through one of the more adverse times in their life, there is always, I've never quite uh, seen a circumstance where this wasn't the case, given the right resources. There's something underneath adversity that is growing in the midst of it and its resilience. And so for those of you out there that may feel overwhelmed right now in leadership, in life, at home, just know that, well, one, you're not alone based on what I just shared. But two, there is something that is likely growing within you that will benefit you on the backside beyond your wildest imagination. Because typically when we're in seasons of survival, depending on what we do with that, uh, we can turn surviving into thriving on the back end. And I do see people come out of experiences like this better than they came into it. So my, that's my hope is that collectively the obstacles we're facing right now, that if we lean into one another, we can come out and turn them into opportunities. Now, Miles, I know that you've got these three steps that you often refer to as a part of your Rediscovering You program. They're reset, recalibrate, and reconnect. And I'm hoping that you could tell me what each of them mean, and ultimately how we can practice them in our own lives. The first is reset. What does that mean and how do we do it? Well, all, all three of these are ultimately steps, but there's a framework built out under each. But I've, just as a, a, a summary, you know, reset, a reset is simply a way for us to evaluate and get clear on our current reality. Because often right now, our perspective can be really clouded because usually in times of stress, we get hyper-focused or attached to an outcome or we get wrapped up in the expectancy of getting to the other side of this and we lose focus on the process or the steps it may take to get there. So a step, a reset is actually, and one way to do it is actually literally if you're sitting somewhere or standing somewhere, take a physical step back from where you are and uh, just Give yourself an honest, empathetic, and graceful assessment of how am I doing? What's happening right now in this process? Now, in order to, to, to do that, often I like sharing it with another person, but I think it's okay initially. You can do that. You can journal it, but you can also just 
give yourself an honest inventory of what's really going on. You'd be surprised at what you might discover and also how infrequently we stop to check in on ourselves. And what specifically are we checking in on? Just our overall well-being? Do we zoom in and look at a specific part of our of our life? How do we narrow this in on what we're evaluating? What I'm referring to right now, these are steps I use to help enhance people's mental wellness, mm. emotional health, or emotional intelligence. And you know, I would describe that uh, as having power, understanding, strength, empathy around your mood and your feelings towards yourself and other people. So in, in this instance, the, the evaluation is how am I feeling? You know, what's happening in my body, in my mind? What's actually going on right now? How am I feeling in the world? So that was referring it to it more through the emotional lens in this sense. Perfect. I know the second thing is recalibrate. So so what is this next step and, and how do we apply that to our lives? Recalibrate is actually one of my favorites of this process because it's something I've spent a big chunk of my career kind of as a guide to support people into. I've also done a lot of this personally, but so many processes that support change and us discovering and then living into the best version of ourselves usually start with our current reality and they just push us forward into navigating the future. And look, I'm a, I'm a certified and trained coach. And so I, I see the value and do that for organizations and people a lot, but I also have mental health and therapeutic training. And I feel it's, it's, almost impossible not to go back into our narrative to figure out where we've been imprinted along the way, positively and negatively, and evaluate what might be holding us back uh, from moving into the person that we deserve to be. So recalibrate for me is once you've got an honest inventory, so in other words, you've stepped back, you've evaluated, you've assessed, this is when we actually look back and see what in our history might be informing our current reality and how the, how might that be clouding our perspective? An example might be, I was working with a company yesterday uh, and an executive uh, was having a really difficult time with their, their leader. And so I had a, I want you to take me back into your worst leadership experience. Have you ever been burned by a leader? And they thought of it immediately. Most of us have. (laughs) They went right back to the worst experience of where they were betrayed and burned by a leader. And I said, now I want you to tell me, are you looking through that filter to evaluate the current reality of what's happening with this leadership experience? And they were able to figure out what parts were clouding how they were seeing this current reality. And when they were able to step back and see that a little more clearly, they were able to give a much more empathetic disposition on actually what was happening instead of what happened in their history. So that's recalibrate. And then the final step is reconnect. How do we reconnect? Once we have evaluated and assessed, then we get an opportunity to go back and offload parts of our narrative that may not be supporting us into connecting into who we want to become in the future. So reconnecting is actually reclaiming that part of us that uh, wants to live authentic and get a clear perspective on steps that will lead us towards living into the the life that we want to live. So reconnecting is ultimately about taking this information and then moving and mobilizing it into the future. One of the things with this idea that that the thing that we're fearful of or the thing that, you know, throws us off kilter is this unpredictable future, this feeling of being out of control. I like to think about this quote from Gandhi where he said, When I despair, I remember that all through history, the way of truth and love 
has always won. <laughs> he goes on to say, there have been tyrants and murderers, and for a time, they can seem invincible, but in the end, they always fall. Think of it, always. And and that helps me sometimes alleviate this this feeling of the future being unpredictable, because I can hold on to hope that the predictable part of our future is that the way of truth and love will win. But uh, I never want to just you know, be optimistic that that will happen. I, you know, at Good Good Good, we encourage our community to be the ones who bring that to life, to be the ones who usher in truth and love. And so for me, it always comes back to this idea of, of, of taking action. You know, how do we be those people who are ensuring that the future, you know, is in better control? And, and, to be honest, like when I do this, like that's the biggest thing that pulls me out of my funks. When I, you know, recognize that, you know, the world isn't completely out of my control. I have the power to shape things. If if I care about my neighbors experiencing homelessness, I have the power to play a small role in making their lives a little bit better. If I care about the way that this pandemic is affecting people's mental health, I have the ability to reach out to a friend, to call somebody. And just that little thing, even though maybe it doesn't change the world, it has an opportunity to make an impact and to to help me feel like the world isn't out of control. And so I, I guess kind of coming back to wrap all of this up, I know that the key to this though is to live centered. And I know you've talked about this idea that that living centered is the alignment of our thoughts, our values, our feelings, our actions. How can we ensure that we are aligning all those internal things with the external actions we want to take, the ways that we want to work to make the world more filled with truth and love when this conversation ends you know, I'm probably going to open up the internet and I'm going to see a piece of bad news that breaks my heart. And I think that listeners are probably going to experience this as well. And we want to not become jaded by it. We want to uh, not feel burnt out by this. We want to be able to maintain a sense of living centered. But I guess, how should we respond? How should we, what should be the step that we take you know, when we see this piece of news that we know we want to respond to with action, but we also want to ensure that we don't burn out? Such a great question. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, being the parent of two small children and uh, having experienced the process, which I'll share just a snippet of to answer your question, uh, for, you know, thousands of people a year with the mission I get to be a part of, but really, it's 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 not what I've learned professionally, but it's what I've been reminded of personally as a parent to two small kids in this time. Because in in you know they have not yet been conditioned to believe that there are limits around what is possible. Hmm. And when I watch the way they look at the world right now, through just it's it's an unencumbered you know unencumbered imagination and just limitless possibilities, then it reminds me that I too, at one point, had that same perspective. And when I think we can go back and rediscover the part of ourselves, no matter what age it was and how young we were, and reclaim that, when we can reclaim the part of us that lived with some of that um, limitless possibility and unencumbered imagination, then it gets us a little bit more anchored in hope and optimism. And right now, 
there's no shortage of fear and anxiety. We're getting fed that in every direction. And as I mentioned earlier, there's so many of us that are dealing with consumption fatigue. And one of the ways I think we get to update our system and offload compound stress is when we just take a step back, a physical step back and reset. And so we just evaluate our current reality. What, how are we feeling? How are we showing up? What are we consuming? Is it too much? What filters do we need to put it through? And when we do that, we get to do something called recalibrate, which is a second step, which is let's go back and map back at what age do I remember not being jaded by difficult life circumstances and reclaim that part. And ultimately that reconnects us. And so I love the idea of resetting our current reality recalibrating by tracking back, rediscovering and reclaiming the part of us that had a bit more optimistic view before we got conditioned to believe what was possible and what wasn't. And that ultimately reconnects us in a season when we are desperate for it. And all of that, I need to say, Brandon, just like I would say in a normal season, I just gave you an individual way, a quick tool, an individual way to do that. And you can map that out on a piece of paper. I'm very experiential and a sensory learner. So I love the idea of doing that with images. And there's a lot of creative ways to do exercises like that. But at the end of the day, I'm asking you to share kind of a vulnerable part of your story. And I'm asking you to be a little bit more intentional right now on checking in and not, you know, I am all, I love that, that's your mission. And I love that you encourage people to go out and do service for the greater good and help with homeless and all these huge initiatives that are big problems right now. But also in addition to that, don't underestimate calling your neighbor picking up the phone and calling somebody who may also be putting themselves out there to try to help the world be better right now and just say, how's your heart? So the more that you can share your process and check on other people's process in this season, the better we'll all be for it. Thank you, Miles, for sharing your insights and tips for self-care. When we come back, I sit down with our managing editor, Kaylee Thompson, to highlight some of the best good news stories of 2020 and how we can be a part of the good in 2020. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sounds Good is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Maybe you've always wanted to try therapy, but didn't have the budget or didn't want to go through the hassle of finding a therapist and driving to their office each week. BetterHelp makes it easy to get matched with your own licensed professional therapist. All you have to do is answer a few questions and they'll get you matched up and ready to start in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. And it is so convenient. Just log into your account, send a message to your counselor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life 
today. Visit BetterHelp.com good and join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. BetterHelp is offering a special offer for Sounds Good listeners to get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com good. That's BetterHelp.com slash good. One more time, that's BetterHelp.com slash good. Sounds Good is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM is the only company that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including two of my favorite audiobooks of 2020, The Office of Historical Corrections by Daniel Evans, and Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Oh my goodness, they were both so good. I cannot recommend them enough. You can become a monthly Libro FM member for the same price as an Audible membership. I don't know if I'm allowed to say Audible, but it's the same price, but you'll be a part of a different story, one that supports community. As a special offer for Sounds Good listeners, get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with the code GOOD. All you have to do is visit Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use the promo code GOOD to get started with two audiobooks and to help support this show. I think it's probably the understatement of the year to say that 2020 was one for the history books. I also think it would it would be completely fair to say that 2020 in many ways completely sucked. I know that I'm like the good news guy and I'm not supposed to say that, but like 2020 was bad. Yet in the midst of bad news, Mr. Rogers teaches us that we should always look for the helpers, look for the people who are creating solutions to problems, look for the good so that we can join in and be a part of that good. And so with that in mind, to kind of round out the year, uh, I wanted to bring on uh, Kaylee Thompson. She's the managing editor for The Good Newspaper. Uh, I get to work with her every day at Good, Good, Good. And we put together a list of five of our top good news stories from the year 2020 to remind us that 2020 wasn't all bad. There were helpers. There were solutions. There are some good news stories we can cling to. And there are a reminder that we can all be a part of good, even in the midst of bad. And so, uh, first of all, Kaylee, welcome to your uh, Sounds Good debut. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, Brandon. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Kaylee, why don't we start with the beginning of the year? I know that COVID kind of came into most of our lives in uh, February or March, but what is the good news story that stands out to you for uh, pre-pandemic? What, wh- where did we find the helpers before the pandemic hit us? So this probably feels like forever ago. Um, it was almost a year ago now. But at the beginning of this year, you might remember that Australia saw these massive wildfires. So um, burned millions of acres of land, destroyed thousands of homes, um, displaced thousands of people, killed wildlife. But I found a lot of hope um, just through th- seeing how Australians really banded together. So I found this story of a guy named Raj Gupta. He's a pharmacist. He kept his pharmacy open despite the area having no power, no cell service, and get this, 
his home had burned down from the fires earlier that week, but he knew that he, um, he knew that his community needed medication. So he said, people will come back and pay because people in his community, um, are honorable people. So I'm just really inspired by, um, the way that Australians really banded together, um, offering accommodation, food, medicine, and funds. And we also saw that support coming from all around the world. I remember seeing troops of firefighters flying to Australia from Mexico, the US, all over Europe, and showing up to help fight these fires with complete strangers across the globe. And I just remember feeling goosebumps at that. And it, it, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, it was definitely a moment where I think all around the world, I saw people coming together, which was which was really cool to see because then we saw that again, like later, just a few months later down the road when, when COVID really hit. So Brandon, shortly after those wildfires in Australia, we did see COVID hit, the pandemic hit. Do you have any good news from the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, so this one's a, a little bit of a lighter story, but remember those first two weeks where we all thought, oh, it's just like two weeks at home. We'll yes. learn how to bake some bread, yes. we'll binge some TV shows, <laughs> and then and then we'll just go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was a different time, but everybody collectively watched this documentary series on Netflix, Tiger King, and. Tiger King is problematic in so many ways, but it was a collective experience we shared. And of course, the heartbreaking part of the Tiger King series is how mistreated all of these animals were by Joe Exotic in the zoo that he ran. And the good news story that kind of came out of all of this attention is that 39 tigers plus three black bears from Joe Exotic's zoo are now living safely in a Colorado animal sanctuary called the Wild Animal Sanctuary. And it's just so comforting and good to know that these animals are in a much better place now. And there's a sense of encouragement knowing that this show, uh, as wild and ridiculous as it is, really did help raise a lot of awareness about the exploitation of exotic animals. And I feel hopeful that we're actually going to see a lot of change in the future because of this dumb show that we watched in March. (laughs) Similarly, I know that we saw uh, some good news stories about how nature began to heal in the midst of these lockdowns where, you know, we were driving less, we were polluting less. Can you tell me a little bit more about that good news story? Yeah, so this story is really cool. So as lockdowns went into effect around the world, we saw a lot of changes in the environment. So for example, um, there was a 17% drop in global carbon dioxide emissions during lockdowns. And uh, a key ingredient in smog, which is nitrogen um, dioxide, declined by 27% in some big cities around the world just 10 days after the lockdowns went into effect. This is a nuanced piece of good news in that air pollution is returning to pre-pandemic levels. Um, So those changes weren't permanent. But I think of it as a win because lockdown is an experiment in the way that we can create changes that last. So we know that change is at least possible when we change our actions. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. It is sad to see emission levels 
returning back to pre-pandemic levels. But it is truly so hopeful to know that when we change our habits, it can have positive actions. And I think it'll make it a little bit easier for us to start changing our habits in the future, knowing what kind of possibilities that creates. So the pandemic was top of mind this year, understandably. And there are so many good news stories that we could talk about that came out of the pandemic that we've covered elsewhere. You can find more good news stories on our Instagram, the good newspaper, or the good newsletter. Um, but we kind of want to shift focus here. Yeah. So I think it's important that we talk about a different pandemic that we experienced this year, the pandemic of racial injustice. This year, we collectively saw the video of George Floyd being killed by a Minneapolis police officer. And it reignited this very valid frustration and heartbreak around the way that Black people are treated in this country. And the good news story within all of this, and of course, this is super nuanced, but the good news story within all of this is that we saw a record number of people standing up for racial justice and doing work that that many of us had probably never done before. We saw people flocking to bookstores, especially Black-owned bookstores, to purchase books about anti-racism and about the history of racial injustice in America. And, you know, of course, that's just a a starting point, but it's so encouraging to see people choosing to educate themselves on something that they weren't educated to earlier. We saw people marching in the streets and demanding justice. And we even saw some policy change this year and hopefully laid some groundwork for future policy change that will hopefully save a lot of lives of people of color. We know that this work is not even close to finished yet, but it's encouraging to know that we've taken a big step. This is a part of a bigger conversation now. And overwhelmingly, we are seeing an increase in the number of people who show support for the Black Lives Matter movement and understand it more fully. And so I'm going into 2021 feeling hopeful, but also feeling energized to be a part of more of this work. That's so awesome. Yeah. This year was actually the first time I've ever protested. Congratulations. I'm one of those people too. I think that's so awesome. And I think that it's really incredible when something can shift in the world that that just makes us rethink our priorities and allows us to, to get involved in ways that we hadn't before. And I think that when more of us get involved, we can make a bigger difference. Yeah, totally agree. Last up... I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the election. So we know <laughs> we know that this year basically felt like January, February, pandemic, election, yes. December. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that we should talk about the piece of bipartisan good news that came out of what was ultimately a very divisive election. Do you want to take it away on this last good news story, Kaylee? I would love to. This is a good news story that I get so fired up about. Um, I'm just so excited about this. So this year, more than 150 million Americans voted in the presidential election. Um, It's a record high in a presidential election. And it was a 66% turnout rate, which is huge huge in America. It's the highest voter turnout rate that we've seen since 1900. So this is a really big deal. Wow. 
Yeah. So um, the number of ballots cast in 2020 before Election Day was double that of early voting in 2016. Um, We also just saw more votes overall. There were 23 million more votes this year than in 2016, which is amazing. I'm encouraged by this, Brandon, because higher turnout rates show that the public is more willing to engage with our country's democratic process, which is so important. And I know that when more people participate, our government can better reflect the people that it serves. And I think that's a win for everybody. Uh, I I am just so excited about this news. And I'm very hopeful about what it'll mean for elections in the future. And it's a good reminder that we need to all participate, not just in big divisive election years, but also Mm -hmm. local elections, congressional elections, all these other things. Uh, And I think that we've laid some really good groundwork for that this year. I agree. I think we need to keep up the momentum. Well, with that, those are five of the top good news stories we wanted to celebrate as we wrap up the year. One more time, Australians supported one another and the rest of the world supported Australia in the midst of their massive wildfires. Animals from Tiger King are now living safely in sanctuaries. The lockdowns showed us that nature can heal. We saw a collective movement of people taking a stand for racial justice and Americans voted in record numbers in this year's election. And it's all a reminder that As we head into 2021, this new year, we can be a part of positive change. We can make a difference. We can move the needle for good, but we have to be a part of it. It's not inevitable. We get to play a role and what an opportunity for us. So thank you for listening to Sounds Good. Thank you for being a part of our community. And we are so excited for all the good to come next year. And Kaylee, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Today, we talked with Miles Adcox, the owner and CEO of OnSite. You can learn more about OnSite and check out their online courses, Rediscovering You and 30 Days of Living Centered at onsiteworkshops.com. We also talked with Kaylee Thompson, Good Good Goods Managing Editor. You can read Kaylee's brilliant work and get access to more good news by subscribing to the Good Newspaper at goodnewspaper.org. This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at goodgoodgood.co. This episode was created by Kaylee Thompson, Megan Burns, Chad Michael Snavely, and me, Brandon Harvey. Please do us a favor by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And when you find an episode you love, please share it on Instagram so we can reach more people with good news. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Take good care of yourself this week and we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? Sound good?